Everybody's discovering what happens later on A Silent Night, and Godzilla's being subtracted one for the dawn of the nugget. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show. Uh, this is the last one before Christmas, isn't it, Van, I think? Th- this is. We, we could feasibly, because we've got a lot this week, and some of them are all out over Christmas. So we could potentially have squeezed one out next week, but the biggie that's out next week is Aquaman. And the screening is mm. the night before the release, and the embargo is six entire hours after the release, which, if you are keeping score, and believe me, I do, this means that somebody has finally achieved the impossible in coming up with an embargo even more ridiculous than the one for 2015's Fantastic Four, god-awful Fantastic Four reboot. So <laughs> I'm sure Aquaman is going to be brilliant. I'm sure it's going to be the greatest comic book movie ever made, just just like they said The Flash was. But... Uh, but that embargo, uh, <laughs> that embargo, absolutely, uh, you know, just points to fair money on it being absolutely brilliant. I'm sure. But so we'll just get it all out of the way this week, and we can we can have an extra week for Christmas. I think we've got enough to cover. What do you think? I think so. We've got loads of movies actually to talk about today that you've uh, managed to catch: Godzilla minus one, Everybody, Silent Night, Next Goal Wins, and what happens later in just a second. But we'll just have a bit of a catch up, really, first of all, because mm. um, after your amazing, incredible review on Wonka last week, I have decided. It is time that I treat my uh, lovely lady to another cinema date, and that's where we are going tomorrow to see Wonka, because I have seen in the week so many positive comments about it. Not that I don't trust you, but I just thought, you know what? It's not going to be a waste of money, so I'm quite looking forward to that. But you're taking your lovely lady, not your your, your adorable son, to see the great big Willy Wonka with... Ah, for shame! <laughs> <laughs> he was with me. I'm sure he would be coming, but instead we're making it our second cinema date since yeah. we've been together. Although this I, time there won't be an empty cinema, I'm certain of it. I did think it was strange. Now that you point it out, I should have worked out that you weren't taking some because you did ask me what was the most uh, luxuriant, overpriced, extravagant cinema experience that you could find. <laughs> did seem, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, definitely the what, definitely what I said then. But if you can find a Cineworld VIP screen, do. Uh, they're brilliant, by the way, if you've never been to one. It's like the best, because Cineworld are an awful cinema otherwise. The one thing they've got going for them are these VIP screens with the all-you-can-eat buffet, and which, you know, are just like Chicago town pizzas and basic bitch pasta. But, you know, it's all you can eat hot dogs and popcorn and nachos and drinks, and, and you get the big leather recliners with the, the, the screening room-style table uh, tables on them and things. It's very cool. It's worth the extra nice. money. It's about 30-ish quid or something like that, a ticket. Worth it. That sounds worth it when you have a son who has hollow legs. So actually, I might <laughs> take him while I go to see something, one of those, because then he can just help himself and eat whatever he wants. But... I can believe that. I've seen how tall Albert is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm six foot five, so he's going to be tall, isn't he? I mean, he's five years old and he's already overshadowing the seven-year-olds at school, as you saw. So, um, yeah, he, he As I well. am the size of a seven-year-old, that means he is already, ordinarily, you know, already taller than me, so... <laughs> That, that makes sense. Um, so Wonka, you looking forward to Wonka? Are you excited? Well, you should be excited. Are you excited for Wonka? I'm really excited for it. I've seen, you know, I've seen the trailer. I've seen, obviously, you talk about it. I've seen lots of people on social media that have managed to see it in the week. And actually, you can see how popular it is when you look at the cinema listings. Because tomorrow, when I'm going to see it, they're showing Wonka every 15 minutes throughout the day. So, you I know, know, I'm hoping by 7.30, most people have already seen it and the cinema's empty. 
Quite possible. I would not hedge. I would not take that bet. I, I wouldn't take the bet on that one. But I think I think you'll be okay. <laughs> um, I, I tell you, we'll do our first our first review of the week because this is a movie that's not, I think, going to be popular in cinemas. I don't see this being a big crowd pleaser. And yet, once upon a time, this would have been the movie that would have gotten flocking. This would have gotten you flocking to a cinema in about 1994, I would say. And it's the return of rom com queen Meg Ryan. To the world of rom-coms. Yeah! I know. Do you remember the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl, Meg Ryan? Goddess of rom-coms. Yes. Queen of the Nora Ephron cinematic universe. And, of course, frequent co-star of the one and only Tom Hanks. Um, she, she did have certain issues in her personal life afterwards and that has kind of been blamed for destroying her career in years since like retroactively kind of been you know viewed in hindsight as like having tanked her career so the subject matter of this movie is a little bit odd at times so meg ryan writes directs produces and stars in what happens later a new rom-com in which she co-stars opposite david duchovny my 90s hero, Fox Mulder himself, the man that made me obsessed with psychology yeah. when I was younger. And they are exes. They, they, are, they are a pair of just, you know, completely separate people. who they, they dated in their early 20s, early to mid-20s. They were each other's like first big relationship. You know, they, I think they toyed with like settling down, things like that. It all went pear-shaped. We're sort of briefly told early on that it's because she cheated on him, which, if we're keeping score, means that Meg Ryan literally wrote, directed, producers, and stars in a movie in which she's a former Manic Pixie Dream Girl who cheated on a mid-90s heartthrob and ruined his life, which is really on the nose. Anyway, they, uh, <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't know that story, just look up the movie Proof of Life. Just look up Proof of Life. Because every time someone asks me, who's Dennis Quaid exactly? I have to tell them that story. Anyway, so they, they reunite completely by chance in an airport one snowy winter. Whilst going in completely separate directions, they find themselves crossing paths. The snowstorm keeps them confined to the airport as the planes start to get cancelled one by one. They're stuck there overnight. It starts to clear out, leaving really just the two of them. And of course, they start to reconnect, discuss where it all went wrong and, you know, what they could have done differently and, of course, address their feelings. As you can hear, in this clip. Well, I always wondered why you left. No, you didn't. Yeah. We talked about it all before I left Madison. We sat in the back booth at Morty's over our fries and beers, and we very mature, very civilized about it, and did a whole post-mortem. <laughs> Come on, you know that's true. Now, when people break up, there's the thing that they tell each other, there's the thing they tell their friends, and then, and then there's the truth. But you never told me. And I never told you. Everything's pending. Ah, well, being in love myself now, I can understand the romanticism in the plotline for this movie. And I, I must just add that... <laughs> oh, what is that finger down your throat? Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> um... <laughs> but I must say, watching the trailer to this, Meg Ryan looks younger now than she did in the 90s. No, she does not. If you're going by the poster, that is some spectacular airbrushing. I promise you that is not the case in the <laughs> film itself. And, and, I, and, and this is not me picking on her, because Double D, David Duchovny himself, ain't aging well. And believe me, that breaks my heart to say that Mulder himself is not aging well. 
Also, I, do you know what? It makes me feel so much better about my station in life that a lady would cheat on David Duchovny. Like, I feel a lot more secure in myself. A lot more comfort in knowing. <laughs> you know what? If it can happen to the double D. <laughs> you know? Anyway, beside the point. Um, I really want this to be good because a Meg Ryan rom-com in 2023. Oh, my God, I wanted this to rock. This is everything I loved about movies in the 90s, and it just doesn't work. The confined environment. I mean, obviously, it's been oh. done relatively cheaply. And, of course, Meg Ryan, having been front and centre for so many, like, Nora Ephron movies, the movie, incidentally, is dedicated at the end. It says for Nora, so it's been dedicated to the recently passed uh, Nora Ephron. Like, you know, so she, she knows her roots. She's respectful of her roots. But the film just doesn't work. And it's not a casting thing, because you could swap Double D out for Tom Hanks. And this movie would still suck. You could swap her out for Sandra Bullock. This movie would still suck. It you just can't help the fact that the story's rubbish. The script is garbage. There's this weird attempt to sort of crowbar in this... This kind of fantastical element that's almost lifted from this sort of forgotten John Cusack, uh, Kate Beckinsale, 2001 rom-com Serendipity, where the airport itself kind of seems to be like determining their fate, where it's literally there's a, there's a fate element to it. And it just doesn't work. It feels like it belongs to an entirely different film, which it does. It belongs to Serendipity. Um, and it adds nothing to this. And it just makes it convoluted and sludgy and just uninvolving. You don't care about these characters because, for one thing, they're both quite unlikable. And again, I'm saying this about Meg Ryan and David Duchovny, so I am dying inside as these words leave my lips. It just doesn't work. I watched this on a link at home, and believe me, it belongs at home on a TV screen. This is this is a streamer movie. You are not going to the pictures and seeing this, and if you are, that is not a date movie that's ending well. <laughs> Divorce before marriage. Who'd have thought, hey? <laughs> Well, you can go and see it in the cinema if you want to, because it is out from today. What happens later? Uh, Right. We got two to see uh, what Van thinks about next. We're going to look at Silent Night and also Next Goal Wins. So stay right where you are. We'll be back. Hello and welcome back. Uh, so our jam-packed show continues. We've got two more movies to review here. We're going to look at Silent Night in a minute, which is out uh, a week tomorrow. And Next Girl Wins, first of all, which is out on Boxing Day. So, I mean, is, is that an odd day to release a movie? No. The, you, you know, actually, weirdly, you do ask me this every year, actually. Every time we do the Boxing Day release, every <laughs> year, you do actually ask me. Isn't it weird? They're running a film out on Boxing Day. Well, I, I think it was last year that I actually said to you, no more weird than last year, Adam. <laughs> And to be fair, I can make a really good argument as to why this is kind of the perfect film to put out on Boxing Day. So, this is the new movie from Taika Waititi. This is uh, Taika Waititi's first directorial effort since the absolutely god-awful Thor Love and Thunder, which is still the worst Marvel movie. I don't care what anyone says, I'll die on this hill. That movie sucks ass. Anyway, it also ruined Guns N' Roses for me, if we're being really honest. And Thor, now that I think about it. So, anyway, this is a lot better than Thor Love and Thunder, thankfully. It's based on a true story, and it is the story of the American Samoan uh, national, national soccer team. They're very specific about that. Do you know anything about the American Samoan uh, uh, soccer team? I, I know. Didn't they lose by a huge amount in a particular game? 
It was in 2001, and I believe it was a by 32 nil. I believe the final score was 32 <laughs> nil. <laughs> right? And the movie wow. opens with this. The movie opens with that and then jumps forward in time to, I think, about 2011 and follows um, his name is, I think his name's Thomas Rongan. Is it Thomas Rongan? I remember his surname. It's, yes, Thomas Rongan. So all the way through the movie, they keep calling him Mr. Rongan. And I'm like, yeah, he's a bit of a Rongan, isn't he? Uh, played by Michael Fassbender <laughs> with the weirdest beard you've ever seen. So it's Magneto, like bleach blonde Magneto with this really weird, like, oh, Thor-like. Funnily enough, the th- if you remember the first Thor movie when he had the peroxide eyebrows and beard. Kind of like that. And he is the disgraced, uh, very anger fueled uh, football coach who, by, by the International Federation, is punished and given one last chance to go to American Samoa and coach the team. In which, through what basically plays as a sort of contemporary answer to cool runnings, he is given the very simple task of basically coaching this team to score one goal. They don't have to win. They don't have to play well. They only have to score one goal. That is all they want. And you'll hear in this clip as he's shown around his accommodation. Welcome to your new accommodation. Oh, that's your car, so you can move around the island at will. And now, the Pierce de Residence. Your castle awaits. Your landlord is Sione. He lives in the house next door and he is available 724 to address your every need. 724? Seven days out of every 24. Well, I'll let you get settled in and I'll leave this Welcome to American Samoa video here for you to peruse at your leisure. The qualifiers are only four weeks away, Mr. Rongan. All I want from our team is just one goal. One goal. One goal. I'm assuming that this was actually filmed on set in Samoa, so I'm guessing there's some incredible cinematography to go along with this as well. But there is, and also, I'm just going to point out that you, like our, you, you share the exact level of cultural ignorance that I do, because I didn't realise until I saw this movie that Samoa and American Samoa are different places. I did not know that. Oh, yes. neither did I. No, I was like, oh, is this where the rock? I was watching this whole movie thinking, is this where the rock's from? Uh, you know, the whole way through. Is this where they did the end of Hobbs and Shaw, like the third act of Hobbs and Shaw? No, different place entirely, um, which really tells you that our geography teachers have a lot to answer for. Anyway, uh, you can hear in that <laughs> clip as well, Oscar Kitely as, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tavita is his name. And he absolutely steals this film. You've got effectively, like I say, an, an, a contemporary answer to Cool Runnings. In it's it's a you know, it's an underdog sports comedy. It's a fish out of water element as well. So, unlike Cool Runnings, where it was the team who were the fish out of water, here you've got the coach who is the fish out of water with the team. So it's him having to adjust to life in America Samoa, and it's absolutely charming as hell. Now, ninety eight percent of this is absolutely brilliant, and I mean brilliant. I mean, falling out of our chairs, in hysterics, laugh a minute, absolutely brilliant. It's also got bags of heart, charms the pants off of you. It's really got it going. There's supporting roles in there as well for uh, uh, Will Arnett and Elizabeth Moss, which kind of suggests that Taika Waititi's been uh, scrolling the old Rolodex and calling his mates up. I'm shocked Rita Ora doesn't have a cameo in this somehow. Um, But the true story is really good. 
Um, that two percent, however, is Taika Waititi himself, and I don't mean his direction. His direction is very good. The script is really funny. What lets it down, however, is that two percent, and that two percent is Taika Waititi showing up with the comic teeth, the ridiculous costume, the handlebar mustache, doing this. Oh, I'm so wacky. I'm so cool. Garbage again. Gurning for camera because I'm sorry, Taika. Enough. Stop. This is not funny anymore. We don't like your improv. You are ruining otherwise perfectly good movies. Like, an entire third of Thor Love and Thunder was this nonsense. And he keeps doing it. He needs to stop. He really needs somebody... He needs a producer to just oversee him entirely and say, no, mate, rein it in. Just rein it in. Like I say, the true story here that they actually tell... And like I say, they take some liberties... The true story is fascinating. I, I wound up looking up into it afterwards. Uh, there's a lot that I could go into that we don't have time for. Uh, the first trans athlete, for instance, is a member of this team. Like the, the world's first like trans soccer player was a member of this team. And that story is done really well. It's a really powerful sequence that deals with dead naming and things like that. Um, I, I really love this movie. I really, really love this. This was one of the best times I had at the movies this year. Ruined only by Taika continuously showing up. Well, not continuously, it was about three times. Showing up to just crap all over it just 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 to sully his own good work and no if you could edit this movie to remove him from it this is like top five of the year material for me unfortunately he just really punches it in the face every time he shows up but perfect movie great fun for the whole family it is the new cool runnings Go on Boxing Day and see this. There you go. Boxing Day in cinemas. Next goal wins. Uh, okay, on to our, our third movie to talk about, uh, Silent Night. Uh, now, this has got some kind of uh, very complex plot to it. Oh, yeah, very complex plot. So, uh, new movie from a certain filmmaker that I happen to enjoy very, very much, going all the way back to my childhood. I, when I was 10 years old, I literally had his first English-language film on my baseball cap that I wore continuously backwards because I love this man's work that much. Uh, I won't name him yet. Um, this stars uh, Joel Kinnaman. I almost said Joel Edgerton. Joel Kinnaman. This stars Joel Kinnaman, uh, Robocop remake for All Mankind. He's Rick Flagg in the Suicide Squad movies. Um, I'm a big For All Mankind fan, so that's where I always go for with him. Um, he is a, a father whose young son is gunned down in a, gang, uh, a gangland drive by shooting outside the front of their house on Christmas morning. An attack during which he himself is then shot in the throat and left without the ability to speak. What you then get is an hour and 44 minute long movie with no dialogue. There may be a dozen words of dialogue in this, but luckily you don't need it because said filmmaker behind this is none other than John Woo. Face-off, broken arrow, hard target, John Woo. And he chronicles Joel Kinnaman's exploits as he then passes the following year by training, getting himself tooled up, scoping out his son's would-be killers, and then embarks on the mother of all Christmas killing sprees. This thing is brutal, hard, unflinching. I absolutely bloody loved it. There is a sequence in which he's he's mute. There's a sequence in which he just goes to the calendar on the wall in which he keeps writing his objectives and goals on certain days. Goes to December 24th and writes, kill them all. And I'm like, just, just, just take my money, John Woo. Just take my money. And yeah, he, he delivers. This got really sniffy reviews out of the US. I do not understand why. But those sniffy reviews have led to this movie being released in the UK exclusively to Sky Cinema, of all people. The first English-language John Woo movie in 20 years. 
is on Sky Cinema, of all things. Can't figure that one out. This forms um, the third instalment of what I am affectionately naming Van's Ultimate Christmas Killogy. A trilogy of films in which a solitary male protagonist embarks on a hyper-violent killing spree. It starts with Die Hard, it continues with Violent Night from last year, and this year it concludes with Silent Night. That is my Christmas killogy. You heard it here first. Enjoy that. Put it. Get all three movies in the queue. I would go uh, the other way around on them. I would go Silent Night, Violent Night, Die Hard. That's how I would do them. But yes, it's a worthy movie. Oh my God, it's so good. I've, I've literally, I'm, I mean, they were nice enough to send me a link for this and you've never seen me happier than 10 o'clock yesterday morning when that email came through and I was just punching the air and my inner 10-year-old, his little hard target, baseball cap, was just whooping and cheering. I love this so much that after we record this, I've got a mate coming over, I'm watching it again. I, I absolutely loved it. I, I think this is just an absolute, just, just kill fest for the ages. Absolute banger. Check out Silent Night. It's on uh, Sky Cinema on the 23rd of December. So you've got it in time for Christmas. Sky Cinema, incidentally, are the exclusive streamer for Violent Night as well. And they have Die Hard, which means if you are a Sky Cinema or Now TV uh, member, you can actually view the entire Van Killogy this Christmas. So there you go. That, that is, that is Vanta Claus's <laughs> gift for you this Christmas. Well, you sold it to me. I mean, I, I watched the trailer on it, and I just think it's, it looks absolutely brilliant. It, it's, it looks like a cross between Taken and Fast and Furious, all in one. I think if I were to describe it as anything, it's, it's kind of... Ooh, yeah, Taken, a mm, bit more psychotic than Taken. I would say halfway between John Good. Wick and Violent Night, if I'm being really honest, halfway between those two. Nice. No, definitely. Sounds like a really, really good one. Um, and I'm, I'm liking your, your trilogy there. Uh, your killogy, sorry. Uh, kill, not trilogy. Got to get that bit right. You, you respect the killogy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Silent Night, it is out a week tomorrow, Saturday, the 23rd of December. Right, we're going to be back. Two more to look at. Godzilla Minus One and Everybody, uh, which are both out in cinemas from today. We'll see what Van thought next. Stay there. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Offscreen Pays the Bills. Hey, Adam. Hey, Van. So, what's going on? Hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. And so it's a big thanks to our sponsors this week at Factor. The Christmas season's a mad one. Absolutely mad. And it's a nightmare trying to cram everything in, let alone nutritious, flavorful meals to fuel you on said jam-packed days. Enter Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. The ideal solution for eating well for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals. And best of all, they're delivered straight to your door. Save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while still managing to tick everything off your holiday to-do list. They're fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door and ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. And best of all, you can choose from more than 35 chef-crafted meals every week that support all kinds of healthy lifestyles and meet your meal preferences. Be it calorie-smart, vegan and veggie, protein plus, or loads of other wholesome options. Best of all, factor on just for dinner. You can also choose from more than 55 add-ons for quick breakfasts, lunch on the go, grab-and-go snacks, even ready-to-drink 
cold pressed juices, shakes and smoothies. They're even sustainably conscious, offsetting 100% of their delivery emissions and sourcing 100% renewable electricity for their production and even their own offices. So head on over to factormeals.com slash offscreen50 and use the promo code offscreen50 to get 50% off. That's code offscreen50 at factormeals.com slash offscreen50 to get 50% off. Thanks again to Factor. And now, back to the show. So, hello and welcome back to Off Screen. Two more to talk about now. Uh, Godzilla minus one in just a second. But let's look at a movie that is out in cinemas from today. It's called Everybody. Um, and it's it's quite a delicate movie by the looks of it. It is. It's a uh, new documentary from Julie Cohen, documentarian Julie Cohen. Um, and it, it basically chronicles the uh, the lives of uh, three people who are in, who are intersex. Interse- intersexual? Um, it's, it's like, which is not a term I actually knew, which again tells you about why this documentary is actually as important as it was. We are talking about, you know, the, the fundamental way that gender is defined on a chromosomal level. It's, uh, you know, double X, female, XY equals male. What happens if you are physically female, but you have XY chromosomes? At time, time was the term hermaphrodite used to be used for this about 30 odd years ago. And it's obviously an outdated term now that has given away, given way to intersexuality. And this chronicles the lives of uh, Cypher Wells, Alicia Viger and River Gallo, I believe, who uh, they are actually a, a filmmaker themselves. And it's, it's basically the, the chronicle of their lives and their struggle and how the, 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 the ups and downs that they have had to endure simply to be seen, simply to be recognized. And there is no finer example, I think, of this than the following clip in which Alicia Weigert sits before the Texas Senate, um, basically to state her case for the anti-bathroom bill and the, the gender recognition uh, policy of the state. It's worth noting as well, just a little bit of context of this clip, this is how a lot of her family members discovered her gender. Have a listen. It was like the scariest thing that I've ever done. I stand here today, or sit here today, (laughs) representing the I in LGBTQIA, which stands for intersex. Uh, Because of a condition called complete androgen insensitivity, I was born phenotypically female on the outside with a woman's anatomy, but with internal testes instead of ovaries. And so I basically wanted to tell them that if they wanted to try to pass discriminatory legislation, they should at least open a biology textbook first, because people like me exist because of my genotypic XY chromosomes. Does that mean that I've been using the wrong bathroom my whole life? No, it doesn't mean that. I think I'll echo really what what you said as uh, in regards to this movie. You know, I think that this is a really important movie to, to, to be out and for everybody to see really to to help people to understand things that really they're just not in the forefront at the moment I, well i mean that's the thing they are in the forefront now and as the film points out as they say in the clip um this this puts the i in lgbtqia and that's not yeah. that's not really one of the more prominent letters that is really exposed exposed of that term now the tagline for the movie is go beyond the binary which is actually quite a powerful statement this is a really powerful doc like i i mean by the end of this i was in tears i was genuinely the first of two films in a row we're going to discuss me being in tears for um but yeah oh god this is moving and the, the the trials and tribulations of these three people and the things they've had to go through and the ignorance and persecution they've endured and to 
expo- to to expose themselves the way they have through this documentary to to basically be forced to relive all of this. But beyond even the, you know the, the bigger outside the house stakes, just the at home side of this. I mean, there's a there's a, a great sequence I thought was really charming in which Alicia Vargas sits in her home with her dog on her lap and and scrolls through Tinder and literally maps out how this process works for her. And if I'm, if I'm misgendering, I apologize, I believe she is her. And um, just the, the, the thought process that goes through using something like Tinder. And I have, you know, I used to have to wait until this date to have that conversation. Now I put it on the profile. This person would, would, would swipe right on me if that wasn't on there. And this person would swipe right if it was. And, and this person would fetishize me. And it is a fascinating look. It's something that obviously you and I would not ourselves really ever get a vantage point into, which makes this absolutely essential. I cannot recommend highly enough that you seek this documentary out. I can believe it came out at the very start of the year in the US. It was a bit of an early festival baby, I think, this one. I say it's called Everybody by Julie Cohen, and I cannot recommend highly enough that you check this one out. This is a absolutely essential stuff. Uh, educate yourself check this out it's just fascinating also very moving well there you go in cinemas from uh, today everybody um okay i never ever thought i'd hear myself say this but on to the next movie that made you cry godzilla minus one yes and believe me my friend calvin went to the, uh, <laughs> my friend calvin went to the premiere for this at the bfi i was invited but it was at the same time as next goal wins and I knew I could get a link for Godzilla, and I couldn't for Next Goal Wins. Like, oh, I've got to go to Next Goal Wins. And he came out and said, oh, it's so good. It's so good. I cried. And I was like, okay. And Calvin's a bit of a kaiju nut. So, you know, he's more of a kaiju nut than I am. My, my kaiju stuff extends as far as, like, Pacific Rim and King Kong. You know, Godzilla versus Kong, the monster versus stuff. I like all that. But your old-school Japanese Godzilla stuff, I'm, I'm kind of, I can take or leave. This is the first original uh, Toho Godzilla production in six years, I think. The last one being Shin Godzilla in 2016. So Toho are the original uh, Japanese Godzilla makers. They had a deal with Legendary Pictures because of the Monsterverse, Godzilla vs. Kong, Monarch, things like that. They weren't allowed to make another Godzilla movie for a certain amount of time. That has now lapsed, and they've come out the gate with this. So this is uh, from, I think it's Takeshi Yamazaki, I believe, who has been quite cagey about the budget on this. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And what you get is a movie that takes place in the direct fallout of World War II. It follows the plight of effectively a failed kamikaze pilot our central character who has he was a kamikaze pilot he went into the one of the final battles and faked an engine failure so that he could land on odo island sit out the battle and have his engine checked of course they found nothing and there he witnesses a small creature this is a 1945 witnesses a small by kaiju standards creature about three stories high that looks an awful lot like Godzilla. Ah. Yes. Flash forward a few years until, you know, American nuclear testing. The bomb has the bomb has been dropped. So this does make an unlikely sequel to Oppenheimer if you're keeping track this year. And uh, said fallout has taken that three-story monster and let's just say supersized it. And Japan finds itself in the late 1940s not only rebuilding itself but now having to face a monster the likes of which has only been chronicled in legend 
which now sets about destroying the country and is making a beeline for Tokyo. We've not got a clip for this, obviously, because it's it's obviously entirely in Japanese language. And yeah, it, it, it delivered on that hype. Calvin didn't undersell me on this. It is more about the human characters than it is actually about Godzilla. Godzilla is treated in this movie the same way the tornadoes are tweeted, uh, tweeted are treated in Twister. That's why I did that thing that tweeted. Yeah. Uh, the same way the tornadoes are treated in Twister, <laughs> the same way that the ice is treated in The Day After Tomorrow. He is a natural disaster. And it's wonderfully done. It is a human story that just happens to feature Godzilla as the representation of the natural disaster. In this case, obviously, there is still the, you know, the, the nuclear analogy, etc. But it is about those characters. And oh my god, the writing on this, the filmmaking behind it, the visuals. This, th there's been some speculation about the budget for Godzilla Minus One. Takashi Yamazaki himself has stated it's not 15 million. He was asked, did this cost 15 million? We had heard it cost 15 million. He said, we did not have that much money. This was less than 15 million. And I knew that before watching this. And I am astonished. And I mean, genuinely, jaw on floor, astonished that this could be made for less than 15 million. Because believe me when I tell you that there are $200 million Hollywood mainstream tentpole blockbusters that do not look half as good as this. They spent $300 million on The Flash. Mm. The Flash looks like a dog turd next to them. I mean, The Flash is a dog turd anyway, but definitely next to this. But then you've got those performances, and right, you're going to have to forgive me some names because I couldn't remember a bevy of Japanese names in this. Uh, Ryunosaki Kamiki as our lead uh, Kochi, who is our, our kamikaze pilot. Wonderful performance, and I mean the absolute emotional devastation that this man manages to depict on screen is breathtaking. It's palpable. You really buy into it. Uh, you've also got in there uh, Minami Hamabi as uh, as his sort of love interest, sur sort of surrogate wife type, uh, Nori Norika? No, Noriko, sorry. And the pair of them together will absolutely take you to the emotional ringer. You've, but you've also got a, a, a fleet of influences in there. So the, there's nods to things like Jaws. There's obviously a ton of you know, you know elbow jabs at the original Godzilla, and even things like the MonsterVerse. Things like a little name check. But when they depict Godzilla absolutely laying waste to a to an entire city, you feel it. You you really feel you feel this in a way that to use a more contemporary comparison, um, something like the opening of Batman vs Superman, in which you live through the destruction of Metropolis from Batman's point of view, where he's driving through the streets. This feels real. That felt fake. That felt like a movie. This feels like you know this this is like someone lived through nine eleven and then wrote about their experiences, and then that formed the inspiration for this. That's what that feels like. You feel the absolute devastation of complete societal collapse, and I mean literal collapse. There are visuals in here that will absolutely have your eyes popping out of your skull, and to cap it all off, you've just got that emotional core of characters that you really care about, that you're really invested in. And by the end of the movie, believe me, you will weep. I told you this off, off mic. We uh, got the link through, and a friend of mine, David, big kaiju guy, 
and he, he insisted he was going to come around my place and watch this. When I had to review it, he was going to come around and watch. I was like, yeah, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, as long as you don't talk about it publicly, we're all right. And uh, he came around, he watched it, and he's an emotionally stunted man, if I'm being charitable. And But I looked over at him at the point that I'm starting to well up. I looked over, and I'll be goddamned if there weren't tears streaming down his otherwise stone-cold face. There really were. And I can't think of uh, a higher, higher praise than I could heap on this movie. I mean, it's just absolutely stunning. It's far and away the best Godzilla movie I've ever seen. It's not only that, it's one of the best movies of 2023. And I know I'm not alone in saying that because there's a lot of uh, critics coming out of the States who have said this for the last few weeks as well. This is filmmaking at its finest. This is the kind of, I mean... When we get to the nominations after Christmas, if this isn't even nominated for Best International Feature, enough. I wash. I wipe my hands. I, I wash my hands of you. No, you have failed. I'll, I can almost live with you're going to shortlist Ant-Man for visual effects over Oppenheimer. That's a snub and a half. But you don't nominate this for International Feature, we are in words. Uh, I, um, you know, I'm still gobsmacked from the start when you said it was under 15 million. Looking at the trailer, you know, the CGI is absolutely incredible. How the hell did they do that for under 15 million quid? I will never know. Not a clue. Not a clue. I say absolutely miraculous filmmaking, really. This is something that is going to be studied. And I do mean this. Academics are going to go nuts over this, just studying this on film courses. Well, Godzilla Minus One is out in cinemas from today, and it sounds like it's going to be a busy one. So uh, book your seat and go and see it. Right, we've got one left. We're going to talk about Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget uh, in just a moment. Stay right where you are. Hello and welcome back to the show for one last movie, uh, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. So, Van, uh, from your pictures on social media, you had a bit of a decent time at this one, didn't you? I had a really good time. I'm disappointed that I couldn't get my uh, my five-year-old nephew, Henry, to come along. I'm really, I'm really sad because he was seeing Santa, like Santa was visiting wherever the hell he lives and some some village near cambridge i don't know and uh, so <laughs> i'm, I'm sad he couldn't come along I'm, I'm a good uncle otherwise i promise i just can't remember the town he lives in um i know where to drive to but i can say we did have a seven-year-old with us and, and he had a blast so he, he absolutely loved it so uh we went down sunday morning to the picture house central uh just on the corner of shaftesbury avenue next to piccadilly circus and we had an absolute ball with this some of the cast were there i got to meet the first doctor who david brad technically first B he's technically Doctor 1B I think now because William Hartnell obviously is no longer with us he plays him now but he's in the movie and uh, Daniel Mays because I'm a big uh, big Star Wars ashes to ashes guys makes you know made my day to meet Daniel Mays um and we had an absolute blast. You saw me with a ridiculous face-painted chicken and the, I did. And the hat yeah you know you, you got to get into the spirit of this thing. <laughs> so um it is now, would you believe, it is 24 years this Christmas since Chicken Run came out, since Ardman released wow. Chicken Run into the world. And I still remember being 16 years old, going with my best mate Andy Sharp to Cineworld Sheffield. I think it might have still been the Virgin Megaplex back then. That Christmas, I think we went twice because he absolutely loved it. Did you go and see this as well? No, but I was going to say, I think Ardman actually, a base just down the road from me in Bristol, if I remember correctly. Yes, 
Yes, they are. In fact, I'll give you another claim to fame as well. When I graduated uni at my graduation ceremony, the honorary degree that they gave away in that ceremony was to Nick Park. It was for uh, Nick Park for uh, for founding Ardman. So weird, weird ties to Ardman. I've always loved Ardman, and they are. They just they're brilliant, aren't they, Ardman? Yeah. No one does it like Ardman. But took a couple of mates. Uh, my mate had uh, my mate Helen had her daughter. My mate Helen had her son uh, with us, and uh, he. They, we all had a great time. Much popcorn was consumed. Many faces were painted. Twenty four years later, we have a Chicken Run sequel. They say better late than never, and yeah, definitely on the better in this case because this is a really good sequel. So it, it is. There is a passage of time. It maybe isn't actually twenty four years later, but the es- the escapees from the first Chicken Run have gone on to basically form their own colony. On an island in the middle of a body of water, into which they have they basically formed their own isolationist chicken society. Uh, so much so that, and this, you know, so much so that Ginger and Rocky, the two main characters from the first movie, have even had a daughter. They have a daughter now who has grown up to more or less the same age that Ginger was in the first movie, and she's starting to ask questions about. You know, what's across the water? What What is the rest of the world like? Like, I want to know things. I have questions. And Mum is in no hurry to answer them. Of course, being, uh, you know, college age, high school, college age, you know, girl, said daughter soon takes it upon herself to wander across the lake and finds herself being scooped up by a chicken factory that is effectively making nuggets for the Ardman version of KFC. So whereas in the first movie you had Ginger and Rocky trying to break (laughs) out of the chicken coop, this time around they're trying to break in, ostensibly to free their daughter. I will point out before I play the clip as well, that since you can't in good conscience really feature Mel Gibson in a children's movie in 2023, they have obviously recast that. It is now Zachary Levi from uh, the Shazam movies and Chuck. Uh, and in place of, I can't remember who played Ginger in the first one, you've now got Tandaway Newton uh, instead. I tell you what, have a clip. This will set the tone for this absolutely rollicking adventure for you. She is a lot like you. See you later. Hmm? Mum, can we go over there? You've got everything you want right here. You can't make me stay here. (gasps) She's left the island. What is that? (gasps) Molly! The truck's taking chickens to some kind of farm. Well, hey, that doesn't look so bad. Oh, that looks so (gasps) bad. Who knows what horrors Molly is dealing with in there? I'm making an assumption here that there are moments in this movie where there are jokes that would go over the kids' heads, but the adults would chuckle away, or if they kept it very kind of, you know, down with the kids. I mean, it is, it's it's kind of the perfect balance of a family-friendly movie. It, it is Ardman through and through. Ardman have never gone down the Shrek route, as I call it, where there are just jokes that are just obscenely not the kids, that go over the, the, head, the heads of kids and will cause them to ask questions, which don't even get me started on Shrek. Um, But this very much maintains that balance. It's maybe not as softball as a Wallace and Gromit movie or a Shaun the Sheep movie, but it's very much in line with the first chicken run. And 
I don't know. I have an ungodly number of people in my life who are really obsessed with chicken run. Like I've. I have twin girl cousins who just endlessly quote Chicken Run to this day. If you say Chicken Run in front of my cousins, I, I, I would bet folding money the very first thing that comes out of my cousin Tasha's mouth will be, I don't want to be a pie. I don't like gravy. Every time. Every time. <laughs> without question. That happens. And that says a lot about how beloved Chicken Run is to a lot of people. Now, Chicken Run was you know, a riff on The Great Escape. This plays a lot more like Ocean's Eleven, if you're going to call it anything, kind of like an Ocean's Eleven type thing. There's the shades of a heist movie to it, like even like getting the team together and each one has their own skill. And I was saying, so you've gone from Great Escape to Chicken Run, just Chicken to Ocean's Eleven, and it works. It really works. Um, loads of laughs, as you say. You know, there's there's jokes in there that aren't really adult, but there are jokes that that kids will. Kids wouldn't necessarily. There's jokes about KFC and stuff, you know, things like that. You're like, oh, I, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, my own review called it finger licking good. So, it kind of tells you you can make a lot of ostensible fast food jokes uh, about this. Hell of a voice cast, like I say, really fun voice cast. Uh, the visuals are extraordinary. No one does claymation like Ardman. Like, I, I know in terms of stop motion, yeah. like we've got Leica and things now, but I will, I'll get behind Ardman any day of the week and this movie will prove exactly why um you've got sam fell directing you've got a tight script you've got wonderful animation say cracking voice cast um the laugh the laugh rate is really high and really consistent my mate will sat next to me and we were chuckling like gibbons all the way through this like one of the, you come out of this movie and your face hurts. take if you're gonna see this take take painkillers Oh, no, in fact, you won't take them. You're going to be watching this at home. It's on Netflix. <laughs> it's in select cinemas now. It's on Netflix uh, from today. Um, have painkillers at the ready, because if you're anything like me, your jaw is just going to be killing you by the end of this. Like, I was in absolute agony by the end of this. And I'm used to flapping my lips all day long. This absolute just agony by the end of it. Just you're laughing so hard, so much. And... The other element to this, and this really surprised me, quite surprised all of us. There's a moment, there's a few moments in which we all had to, all of us adults, were looking at each other like, did they just, did they do that? Did they just do that? Because it veers on several occasions very much into that Toy Story 3, let's all join hands and resign ourselves to dying in the incinerator moment. There's a fair few of those. <laughs> like, did you do that? Did you really, did Ardman really just... Oh my god, okay. Like there's there's stuff in like there's darkness in there that I didn't expect. And not that's out of step with the children's movie, because time was, you know, back in the eighties and even the nineties, kids' movies did have darkness. You know, family friendly movies did feature a lot of dark territory. This is very much a return to that, but that's very much in keeping with how traditional Ardman are in both their style and storytelling. Um Long, long live the House of Clay. Like, I, you know, another win another win for Ardman. You've got my money for the next Wallace and Gromit. I think Wallace and Gromit's the next one they've got out. Um, bums on seats from me. Uh, absolute winner in my book. Two whopping thumbs up. Perfect mix of herbs and spices. Finger looking good. Love it. Sounds like the perfect movie to be watching on that week between Christmas and New Year when nobody really knows what to be doing. That sounds like oh. a nice family movie night. And you don't even need to leave the sofa because it'll be on Netflix by then. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's kind of genius putting this on Netflix in one sense because kids will re-watch this a lot. 
This is one of those that's going to wind up getting put on over and over and over again. You are going to get you're going to get sick of this. You really are. But if you've got to get sick of anything, at least it's something this good. It's really really good well there you go uh, on netflix from today uh right well as we mentioned at the top of the show that's it from us now uh until january the 12th but what have we got coming up on january the 12th because i can see an enormous list of movies that we've got to look at yeah i think we have to do a double length show in january let's have a look at this so between now and then releases coming out include uh, Bradley Cooper's uh, latest directorial effort, the Leonard Bernstein biopic Maestro, which has gotten a bit of ridicule, if we're honest. And I think has more to do with how humorless Bradley Cooper is in general. Also, I'm sorry, mate, but you can campaign all you want. You are not winning an Oscar in Oppenheimer year. It ain't happening, pal. Uh, we've also got, oh, look, what I'm sure is going to be the greatest <laughs> comic book movie ever made. Aquaman and the Lost. Sorry, let's say let's say it how the Americans do. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Um, we've got we've got the rom com Anyone But You, starring Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney. I don't know what to think of that one. Like it's coming out Boxing Day. There's, I don't think there's any press shows for it. Like I, I'm not sure about the premise, but I like Glenn Powell very much. You know, he's a very charismatic man. I hope he's the next Green Lantern. Genuinely. Make a good Green Lantern with Glenn Powell. But any, anyone but you is coming. We've got One Life uh, with Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Priscilla, the new Sofia Coppola movie, which so weird side piece to Elvis. Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, in a way. Like, a year ago, we had Elvis. And yeah. this year, we've got we've got Priscilla. Um, starring at Kaylee Spaney, I think. Kaylee Spaney? Kaylee Spenny? From the god-awful Pacific Rim sequel, uh, as Priscilla herself. Um, we've also got George Clooney's latest directorial effort, The Boys in the Boat. Because God forbid George Clooney ever directs what looks like an entertaining movie. Uh, we've got Poor Things, the new one from Yorgos <laughs> Lantimos, a name I will never get tired of saying aloud. You try saying it, it's very fun to say. Yorgos Lantimos. Give it a go. Yorgos Lantimos. Yorgos, Yorgos, Yorgos Lantimos. Exactly. You, you turn into Will Ferrell in Elf. That's fun to say. Francisco. Every time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We've also got the new Michael Mann movie, one of my very favourite filmmakers. Mr. Michael Mann is back. Adam Driver is Enzo Ferrari in Ferrari. Funnily enough, there was a Ferrari movie, like a fictional Ferrari movie in Entourage, directed by Michael Mann. So this is a weird case of like, his, of like reality imitating art, although this one does not star Adrian Grenier. And uh, last, but certainly by no means least, The State is back as the beekeeper. Mm. Because when I think of beekeepers, I think of the ass-kicking antics of Mr. Jason Statham. I can't wait! This is like that time I was asked to come up with my uh, to come up with the ultimate fictional movie, and I said, Steven Seagal is the janitor. They took his daughter, now he'll mop the floor with them. The beekeeper is about that <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Well, I can't wait to find out what all those movies are like. So some really, really good ones in there. But um, that's all we've got time for this week. Of course, we are back on January the 12th. We will see you then. And until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor. And a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you all. <laughs> <laughs>